Tonight's scripture reading will come from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Good evening. Tonight we continue another lesson from the book of Proverbs. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 12, where we're going to begin. People are constantly looking for a better item, whether it's an everyday, mundane thing like trying to choose fruit in the grocery store, or maybe a big decision like choosing where to live. We examine, we compare, we try to figure out our choices, and we want to make our choice based on what we believe is better. Better is a good word. I can't imagine anybody going through that kind of process, whether it's a small detail or a big life decision, and saying, well, that's worse, I think I'll take it. We always want what is better. And the book of Proverbs is filled with comparisons, helping us to understand what it means to live a life of wisdom. Sometimes you'll see this listed, and it'll mention one, and it'll contrast using the word but. But there's another group of Proverbs that doesn't use the word but. It uses better and than. The better than Proverbs. So tonight, what I've done, if you've got an outline or the handout, you see I've listed there 19 verses in Proverbs that use this better than formula. Now, the PowerPoint's not going to help you. That's your one and only slide for the night. Um, I want to encourage you to just open your Bible, starting in Proverbs 12. As you see, they're listed there in order, and I want to kind of follow through these. I don't think it'll take us that much time. There's 19 listed, but most of these speak for themselves. The first one is Proverbs 12, verse 9. Let's begin there. Proverbs 12, verse 9. Contrast the modest social status with the pretentious person who's living beyond his means. Proverbs 12, 9. Better to be a nobody and yet have a servant than pretend to be somebody and have no food. That first phrase of verse 9 could be translated, said better to be a nobody and yet have a servant He that is despised and is a servant. It's how that also could be rendered. In other words, if you're willing to take on hard work, willing to do a job, one who uh, is able to work as opposed to someone who refuses to step down and, and, and take that work, it's preferable to be unknown and yet self supporting. Reading from the NIV there, a nobody than to boast that you are somebody and not make ends meet. What good is that kind of claim? Look at the next one, Proverbs 15, verse 16. Talks about wisdom that says that our riches are always better than poverty. Proverbs 15, 16. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Now, generally, a person would choose wealth or abundance over poverty. That just seems to be uh, normal, human but not at any price. And that's what I think the Proverbs is saying here. If a person has poverty, or as it's listed here as little, 
it's the fear of the Lord, that combination, to have little and the fear of the Lord, that's better than wealth, especially that wealth that brings trouble. Read from the NIV, it says turmoil. It can also be translated confusion or, or panic. And that statement suggests that wealth mentioned here is not possessed by the one who fears the Lord because fearing the Lord gives peace and not confusion. Think about what Paul wrote, 1 Timothy 6, 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. When you put those two together. The next one, Proverbs 15, verse 16. It contrasts poverty with prosperity. Proverbs 15, verse 16. Better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened calf with hatred. Now I can imagine a vegetarian would have trouble with this. Well, we have to take the principle of what he's saying here. Better have a few vegetables or what you might say, a sparse meal. Have you ever heard someone say, we're just having vegetables tonight? Like it's a, a less than kind of meal. But better a few vegetables, Solomon writes, in the atmosphere of love than, as we would say, maybe prime rib, when there's tension and hatred and division. See, normally we would choose luxury. We would want what's good, what's best. What's most important is love. And a home where material possessions are few, but the love is present, is better than a house of great luxury where you eat fine, but there's hatred and discord. Chapter 16 has several better than statements. The first is in verse 8. It teaches us what is better than, than wealth. Better a little, there's that word again, better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Chapter 16a is similar to what we just read in chapter 15, 16. Here, righteousness is substituted for fear of the Lord. Much gain replaces great wealth, and injustice is used instead of turmoil. Well, that word gain there is one who amasses revenue dishonestly, and the, where he's going with that, that eventually they're going to be punished. They may win for a while, they may enjoy it for a season, but there will be uh, a time to pay for that. It's also rendered income. Sometimes Proverbs renders it great wealth. So this righteous living, even if it means a little, as he says here, is certainly better. You ever find yourself thinking, you know, if I could just get away, if I could get away for a weekend or a week at the mountains or, or get away to the beach or whatever your favorite vacation spot is, then that would be just great. And I would have some peace and quiet. But what we know that sometimes even a vacation is not without stress. It's not without trouble. Packing traveling. Anybody else's kids ever become just difficult on vacation? You know what I'm talking about when they were little? They just, they become ugly people and you wonder who are these strangers that look just like your children? Sometimes vacations aren't the best for us. Well, if it's not a getaway, where do peace and quiet come from? I think what Solomon is helping us see here is not from a change of scenery, not necessarily a change or an increase of income, but a change of heart. Listen to the words of Isaiah thirty-two seventeen: The fruit of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. That's where it comes from. Look at Proverbs 16, 16. Kind of a recurring theme in the book of Proverbs. Better to get wisdom than wealth. And of course, who better than Solomon is qualified to say that? 
Proverbs 16, 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold, to choose understanding rather than silver. That term gold there and silver, that was Solomon's way of talking about wealth. And he used that frequently. Um, if you want to flip back, just hold your finger there in chapter 16, but you can flip back to, to Proverbs 3. He uses the same words there. Proverbs three thirteen. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better, than re- better returns than gold. She's more precious than rubies. Nothing you can desire compares with her. And a couple chapters over, chapter 10, I mean chapter 8, beginning of verse 10, almost the same words there. Choose my instruction instead of silver. There's that word again. Knowledge rather than cho- choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. And in verse 19, my fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. See, some people have the ability to be both wise and wealthy. But when faced between the choice of the two, Proverbs says wisdom is the better alternative. A little wisdom is better than a lot of wealth. And then look at chapter 16, verse 19. Teaches us here that being with the lowly is better than dividing the take with the haughty. Better to be lowly in spirit and among the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. And we know this. Pride leads to one's downfall. Proverbs eighteen twelve says, Before his downfall a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. Proverbs twenty nine twenty three, a man's pride brings him low, but a man of lowly spirit gains honor. Pride is so despicable that to be poor, to be in poverty, is to be chosen over that. One may share plunder, as it's mentioned here, in the context they're acquired through violent or dishonest means with the proud, but such dishonesty will not go unpunished. Proverbs 15.25 says, The Lord tears down the proud man's house, but He keeps the widow's boundaries intact. He takes care of those who's following Him. I thought of this, uh, I thought of 1 Peter 5, 6 when I was reading this verse. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Proverbs 16, 32 talks about having patience. Our controlled temper is honored above being a great warrior. Look what it says here, Proverbs 16, 32. Better a patient man than a warrior. A man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. Listen to those words and think about it. This was written in a land, in a time, in a culture where safety depended upon might and skill and warfare. And that being the case, then this statement might be a little surprising. Yet conquering oneself is of greater virtue, as the writer saying here, than conquering a city. Proverbs fourteen seventeen: A quick-tempered man does, does foolish things, and a crafty man is hated. Proverbs 14, 29, a patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. In chapter 25, 28, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. In chapter 29, verse 11, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. If you're slow to anger, if you're self-controlled, You possess ability so great in God's eyes, that's better than being able to, Solomon says here, to be able to take a city. Proverbs 17.1 teaches us it's better to have 
She might say a dry biscuit or maybe just cornbread in a quiet house and have steaks with strife. Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. This is kind of similar to chapter 15, verse 17 that we just talked about. A peaceful, quiet meal. We might just say sparse, dry crust, however you might imagine that. Maybe just crackers comes to mind. It's better than having a lot to eat, a house full of feasting. So sometimes you hear people talk about Bible translations and, and there's something about us where we, we're drawn to want the most literal translation. Have you heard that? You see them on a scale sometimes. This one's more literal. But sometimes a literal translation is not necessarily the most accurate translation. And this is one of those times where I think it proves to be true. In this uh, original, that, that feasting there literally translated as sacrifices. But if we rendered that sacrifices, we wouldn't understand. Because what it's going back to is Leviticus 7, verses 11 through 36, where they brought the peace offering to God and they would be able to partake in that. So it was a time of them to enjoy eating as well. And I thought about that. We've got strange words when it comes to food. What's a potluck? What's a covered dish? Really, if you think about it. But we say those words, we know exactly what they mean. But when you explain them, you're not going to give a literal translation. What we're reminded here is you have all kinds of meat, and yet if you're not right with the Lord, it doesn't matter. It won't be satisfying. Harmony in your relationships, at home, work, church, it's much more gratifying, much more desired over a sumptuous supply of food. Look at Proverbs 17, verse 12. Here he compares what is truly dangerous to your life. Better to meet a bear robbed of her cubs than a fool in his folly. A mother bear whose cubs have been taken is angry, she's dangerous, and you don't want to be near her. Hosea 13, 8 reads, Like a bear robbed of her cubs, I will attack them and rip them open. Kind of explains it, doesn't it? But it's better come to face with a mother bear, as he mentions here, than a fool who's out of control. Now that's a strong statement. Now, if your Bibles are open there to Proverbs chapter 17, look at a verse before and a verse after. Look there at verse 10. A rebuke impresses a man of discernment more than a hundred lashes of fool. And then verse 16. Of what use is money in the hand of a fool? Since he has no desire to get wisdom. Several examples come to mind. Think of Herod, who was so incensed when the wise men didn't follow his instructions and come back and tell him where that newborn baby was, and in his foolish ways made that edict for all the, those little boys in Bethlehem to be put to death. Think of Nebuchadnezzar, who stoked the furnace seven times hotter than normal rather than to bow down to the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Think of Saul, who killed 85 innocent priests because they unknowingly helped David. Better to be face to face with a bear, a mother bear, who someone stolen her cubs, than a man who is a fool, as he explains in this passage. Now, not all fools are equally dangerous, but listen to this quote from Robert Alden. It says, Consider meeting a fool with a knife or a gun or even behind the wheel of a car. A mother bear could be less 
dangerous. Next is Proverbs 19.1. Proverbs 19.1 compares the upright in character with the perverse in speech. Better a poor man whose walk is blameless than a fool whose lips are perverse. That first line of the verse, better a poor man whose walk is blameless, is the same line as chapter 28 and verse 6. We're going to get to that in a moment. But it's better to be poor and honest. Blameless, as it's rendered there, means morally whole. And it's used several times in Proverbs. Chapter 2, 7, verse 21. Chapter 11, verse 5. Chapter 28, verse 10. Chapter 28, verse 18. But when you think of blameless, maybe what comes to mind is Job 1, verse 1. Do you remember how the book of Job opens? Describing this man of God. In the land of us, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Blameless, morally whole. And the word fool there just means someone who's dull. Someone who's uh, thick-headed, we might say. Lips are perverse, that just means twisted. And the word for poor here, we need to make sure we understand here, the word for poor, it means destitute. It can mean hungry. You're so poor, you're hungry, you don't have enough money, enough resources just to eat. But we need to make sure that this is not a dishonorable term. This is not you're poor because you're not working. This is not you're poor because you've made foolish choices and and you spent your money and you've run out before your next paycheck. That's not the context here. A fool may try to get rich by devious means, but honesty is still the best policy. Even if it means going hungry, it's better to be honest and retain your integrity. Even though it might lead to poverty, that's the word here, this poorness, and to compromise your conviction, even if it would lead to riches. Sometimes we may be quick to judge, just like in Jesus' culture when they would see somebody who was diseased, think that there was a sin problem. Sometimes when we see someone who's poor, we may be quick to judge and think for them, they've brought that on themselves. They're poor because it's their own fault. But that's not necessarily so. Those are not my words. That's what Jesus said. To the church at Smyrna, Revelation 2, verse 8 and 9, Jesus said, I know you're poor financially, but in reality... In me, you are rich because you're walking with me. And you contrast that with what he said to the church at Laodicea in Revelation 3, verses 14 through 18. Basically, he's saying your monetary blessing isn't all that indicative of my blessing. And remember how he surmised their spiritual standing as being lukewarm. The wealthy person who got his wealth through dishonesty might enjoy it for a season, but he has no insurance of what the next day will bring. But if you're walking with the Lord, if you've been washed by the Lamb, if you've been adopted into God's family, what you know is He's going to provide for you. That's who He is. That's the way He works. Do you remember how Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6, 11? Give us today our daily bread. Well, next is Proverbs 19, 22. It implies that unfailing love is better than lying, even if that means poverty. Look what it says there. What a man desires is unfailing love, Better to be poor than a liar. Now, instead of unfailing love, some versions use the term there, loyalty or steadfastness. 
I'm not sure which one is actually a, a better rendering of that. But this is a, a virtue that we, we like to see in people. We want it ourselves, but we're also attracted to that in, in other people. And lying is an evidence of that loyalty, that steadfastness, that unfailing love. Lying is so despicable that poverty is preferred to it. So I think the message here is if you're going to be attractive then be like Jesus. I mean, Jesus was that way. He spoke the truth. He is the essence of unfailing love, that kind of loyalty. But think about our culture. And this is not just new with us. It's always been. It emphasizes the outside appearance. And as humans, I don't know that we ever get beyond that. We'd love to be like God and just look at the heart and judge by the heart first. But we see with our eyes. And we're quick to make an assessment. Sometimes we're right. Sometimes we're wrong. 1 Samuel 16, 7, you know the verse. It says, the Lord looks at the inward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. And we're so glad by that. But if life goes on, what we begin to realize, we start looking through the eyes of our heart at what really is attractive. Look at Proverbs 21, verse 9. Proverbs 21, 9. Can't read this proverb without thinking of Tim Anderson. I think I mentioned that to you before, but he would bring this up to me from time to time when he was still living and say, when are you going to preach on that? When are you going to preach on that? Tim, this is for you. Better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. The New American Standard says a contentious woman. We don't have to explain that, do we? We know what that means. A quarrelsome wife, a contentious woman. We might say a man is living with a contentious woman that promotes that arguing. It's just so stressful. Well, you know, we wouldn't say on a roof. We might say better to live in the attic. You know, just something extreme like that. And think about it. With a thousand wives and concubines, Solomon knew just a little bit, maybe, about women. You think? I'm not so sure this verse is about women or contentious women. I think it's about contentious people. Women don't have the patent on that. Men can be just as quarrelsome. It can happen in a marriage. It can happen in a family. It can happen on the job. It can happen in a church. It can happen everywhere. It could be your neighbor. This is Proverbs 21.9. It's repeated in chapter 25, verse 4. Similar thoughts, actually, if you've read through Proverbs again, I keep seeing this, it's because it's over and over again. Proverbs 19, 13, uh, 21, 19, 27, 15, and 16. But let's look at 21, 19. Same message, uh, or similar message. Better live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife. So you, on the roof, out in the desert, n- not, not a good situation here. But at least you have peace and quiet. At least you can have some time to yourself. Look at Proverbs 22, verse 1. Promotes the true value of a good name. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Solomon, who had so much wealth, wealthiest man who ever lived, knew what he was talking about. Having a good name, having a good reputation, built on your character, that's what it really matters. And riches are useless if you ruin your character to gain them. 
I don't know if it's true. I tried to look it up and verify, and I couldn't find for sure. But I love the story about Alexander the Great, known as just one of the greatest military minds of all time. History tells us he never lost a battle. He took great pride in his military, and he would routinely reward those who did well. And he would also punish those who didn't do well, deserted, cowardice. The story is told that at one point a young soldier was brought to Alexander's judgment because he had deserted his post. Alexander the Great said, What's your name? The soldier mumbled, Alexander. Alexander the Great said, What is your name? Say it again. And the soldier said, Alexander. And knowing the situation, he looked into the young man's eyes. Alexander the Great said, Soldier, Either change your conduct or change your name. Names matter. Your character matters. Your reputation matters. It's an important responsibility, a tremendous privilege. Our parents give us our name, but even more so, Jesus gives us His name to wear. In Proverbs 25.7, it's talking about relating to the king. One of position. It's better for him to say to you, come up here, than for him to humiliate you before a nobleman. And look in 25 verse 24. Better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. He just couldn't get away from the women. Have you noticed in that? We're back at it again. Proverbs 27 verse 5 teaches us that love which refuses to speak out is not really helpful. Proverbs 27, verse 5, Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. The New American Standard says, Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. If a person genuinely loves you, then with the right spirit, in the right framework, they're going to call you out. They're going to do it in a loving way. Because they love you enough not to let you keep doing that. Rebuking as it's mentioned here. He mentions also in chapter 1, verse 23, this is preferred as opposed to what is rendered here as hidden love or closed love. Or some versions say withdrawn love. It's like if you love me, tell me. And not just that there's broccoli in my teeth, but, but tell me if I'm missing it in some way. Love me enough to help me. And done in the right way, that type of rebuke, that type of correcting, is what you want. That's a true friend. That's a true sign of love. I think that's what he's sharing here. Proverbs 27, verse 10. Better a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. Better a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. When I read that, I thought about how the church becomes your family. When you can't live next to your family. And when you need somebody, you'd you'd rather have your mom there, your dad there, your true brother or sister. But your spiritual family jumps in. Look at Proverbs 28, verse 6, the last of these 19 we have listed. Better a poor man whose walk is blameless than a rich man whose ways are perverse. He talks a lot about this, about being upright and especially sacrificing that for getting ahead, for money. Rich man, as it's mentioned here. Let me close with this. I think Jesus taught the same principle in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. You remember that, Luke 16. The rich man did so well on this earth. Lazarus was poor. 
just beg for what fell to the grounds, the crumbs. But the true difference between them is not about money, but really more of their spiritual state. The rich man was evil, obviously. Lazarus was a good man, a righteous man. When the rich man died, he went to the place of torment. That's how Jesus described it. And when Lazarus died, he went to Abraham's side. And seeing Lazarus across that great gulf, you remember what the rich man said? Verse 24, Father Abraham, have pity on me. And send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. So who's better off? Lazarus, who was suffering for a while, for all of eternity, gets to be at Abraham's side. But the rich man who died sumptuously on earth, he got torment instead. So many of these better than Proverbs really talk about the before and after perspective. Do it a little bit now. Better to sacrifice now. Don't sell your soul. Don't compromise your integrity. Keep your name. All these things. Peace. Righteousness. Being blameless for what's coming. Because what's coming is what you really want. That's what really matters. There's where the wisdom is. Let me just remind you the rest of the story. Luke 16, verse 25. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to there, you cannot. Nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Verse 27. He answered then, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Then he said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Isn't that eerie? That Jesus would make that statement, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. There are some people who just won't listen. I think as you read through the book of Proverbs, our prayer needs to be, God, I don't want to be one of those people. I want to have a teachable spirit. I want to have an open heart. Let's pray for that. God, as we read these words of wisdom that you have given us through your Spirit that Solomon wrote down for us to study and to think about and reflect, God, help us to not just quickly dismiss them as trite sayings, but hear them for what they are. Godly wisdom. We get so caught up in this life. Sometimes we just see this life and we don't think about eternity. Father, I pray that you would help each of us to have a heart that is open, a spirit that is teachable, that we will want to be wise, that we will value what you value, that will not compromise our integrity, that we will walk as you would have us walk. It's through Christ we pray. And amen. If we can pray for you in a special way, or if tonight you would like to name the name of Jesus, we always have the water ready for you to be baptized for the remission of your sins. Won't you come as we stand and sing to encourage you?